Hi, my name is Katherine Mars. I plan to share with you how to go to college. The purpose of this podcast is to take a deeper look into the college planning process. I plan to share with you tips on how you too can get into the college of your choice. I consider myself an expert in this arena because I'm an educational consultant with 15 years of experience helping teenagers find their path. I am a parent and I am a daughter and I have a millennial. My millennial has graduated from college, as have I, as have one of my parents. This is my passion for helping kids to make sure that you too can plan the future of your dreams. I work with kids who are National Merit Scholarship winners, as well as kids who can barely find their way out of high school. We work with every kind of student, students who have lots of extracurricular and students who have nothing. It's important that we can help share with you things you can do so that you will look the strongest when you fill out a college application. The goal of this podcast is to help students develop a plan for their future methodically and systematically so that they can remain confident in whatever path they choose to pursue. I like to help students see that this can be fun. I want families to be able to share versus argue about where to go to college. I want students to have less angst while they're in high school. Families today have enough going on. There's so many activities in all different directions. There's a lot of stress at times in families. They don't often get to have dinner together and actually share their day because everyone is going in different directions. So it's very important when students are planning for college that the families can remain close, that mom and dad are not constantly pressuring the student to be doing certain things, that the student can then stand up and say, these are the things I plan to be doing so that I will get into the college of my choice. Today, we're going to focus on what I believe to be the first step towards getting into college, and that's building depth. What is depth? Well, think of it as a swimming pool. You have a deep end and you have a shallow end. And when you're conversing with someone in a conversation about no telling what, You want to have lots to say that is meaningful. That's depth. You know, you've met the shallow, shallow end type of person who can't carry a conversation very well. Well, you're not that person. How do you get depth? Well, it begins when you're a child, when your parents read to you and then you start reading to them and together you read. And the more than a child reads, the more interesting they will become. Such things as the Greek myths, classics, the Huckleberry Finns, the Tom Sawyers, the Lord of the Flies, Ernest Hemingway, The Sun Also Rises, or The Old Man in the Sea. These are books that will help a student become much more interesting and have greater depth in conversations. They're going to have history. They're going to know things about the 19th century, the 18th century, the early 20th century. The backdrops of all of these books have a lot of history in them. So reading can really help build depth. It can help critical thinking. Every kid needs to learn to critically think. The best way that you can start to read if you're not a reader is to pick up a Calvin and Hobbes comic book or a 1010 comic book. These are books that have good vocabulary in them, even though they have pictures. 
Another thing is all students are reading blogs or tweeting or going on Facebook and reading. So it's simply directing their reading into more productive ways. So if you're interested in video games, for instance, read a biography about someone who creates video games. Or if you're into sports, read a book about a famous baseball player or basketball player. Or if you're into politics, read about presidents. David McCullough has written some great books. One of them is John Adams, and it will help you a great deal when you're studying U.S. history in 11th grade. Every high school today, whether it's public or private, gives students reading lists for English class beginning in 9th grade through 12th. So when you get that reading list and it says that they want you to read one or two other books for the summer to be discussed in the fall, then you add to that, add books that you're interested in, because the required reading may be interesting, and then again, it may not be. So make it an interesting, productive summer by adding books to whatever activities you plan to do. Reading is so important that I have brought in Michael Lundy to come and talk to us a little bit about the importance of reading and some of the other aspects of what reading can do in building depth and preparing you for college. So, Michael, welcome. It's nice to have you. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. So, in the beginning of talking about this reading and increasing depth building, talk to me a little bit about why it is so important for kids to to become an interesting human being, that reading is so much a part of that. So, there are a few things I would like to discuss in relation to reading. First, why it is it's such a challenge for students to motivate themselves to spend hours on end reading and what the benefit of that is. In my experience, what I've discovered to be the main issue is trying to translate the experience of reading to how it impacts the human being, helps them to evolve. And if you choose a list of different uh, mainstays of the English canon, right? You take Hemingway, for instance, and you think, well, what is it that you're getting out of that? How do you translate that into depth? Depth is a very esoteric thing, right? And the best way I know to explain that is you recognize depth of character in a person when you see that they're able to take, on the surface level, disparate domains and connect them together. So mm. define a disparate domain. Right. So, for instance, if you take something like um, spending time in combat, in war, right? That seems like a natural thing to connect to Hemingway. And then you connect that, let's say, to the subject of love. How do you find love in a time of war, for instance? And you're able to find a way in which you can find these connections uh, between the two subjects. How um, even as a, uh, a story tries to touch on like one subject, if it's only war, for instance, what you find is like a real life is oftentimes it has a real smattering of, of different layers, right? Relationships on top of uh, whatever it is that is like the driving thrust so, of the conflict. So if a student is, is reading a lot of interesting books, they mm. may not find them terribly interesting initially because they're kind of old school if you read classics like Hemingway and D.H. Lawrence and people like that. So the idea of... A student having a college interview, for instance, or being interviewed for a job even, that the being able to do this connecting 
of different arenas. I still need to break it down so it's a little bit more simple. Right. So I think, first of all, if a student finds it a real struggle to read these older texts, it might be because the voice itself is unrecognizable. They don't really have conversations like that with their peers, right? And if you really think about it, reading a book at length is kind of an unnatural act, right? Let's say just by analogy, you liken that to a conversation with a person, and they sit there in front of you for, let's say, take the average reading time you spend with a novel, two to three hours, let's say, right? And someone's just talking for two to three hours, you sit there and nod your head, right, the whole time. Sooner or later, your attention's gonna get kind of flighty. It's gonna go all over the place. It's much more organic and natural if you break in every once in a while. So right? you mean like bringing a yellow highlighter or something that you, or a pencil or pen that you can mark things that look interesting? Right, so you get into the mechanics of what you're doing with that. It's, it's easy enough to just tell a student, oh yeah, interact with the book, annotated bibliography, right? These are things you often hear. But to get down to the mechanics, what you're trying to do is you're turning the experience of reading classic literature, whatever it is, into a conversation, right? So for instance, if you're having a conversation with someone, they're seeing your facial expression, your intonation shifts based on subtle cues, right? That's how an organic conversation works. But you can translate that experience into reading a novel, right? So for instance, you mentioned using highlighter. Right, so you might color code it. But when I'm reading, I might use one highlighter direct to show things I agree with. Right, um, maybe red for that, uh, and I might use a different color to show things that I virulently disagree with. I might use icons like an exclamation point show my surprise. Right. So for some of us, that's the way we do enhance our comprehension. Is if if we're able to basically interact with the text, then we're going to comprehend it better. We're going to really absorb what it's what's saying instead of just reading it mundanely. That gets to the that gets to the heart of the subject of depth, in fact, right? Because what you're doing is you're working organically with the text. Instead of just trying to memorize a sequence of events and you're disconnected from it, instead it comes becomes deeply entwined with your inter, inner mental life. Right, because that's precisely what you were doing, is you were interacting with the text. Now it becomes a part of your own story. You can visualize the characters. Right? So I can see this overlapping in a lot of things, such as in an English class, when you're having to read a required reading that's really boring, and you have to be able to talk about it in class. If you've been able to read it organically, then you're going to be able to talk about it in class with a much more interesting perspective. Same thing if you're taking a standardized test, and you have the reading section, and you have to read a passage. If you can do the same thing that you're talking about in a book, where you can highlight or, or at least mark something, and um, so it's more interesting. Right. It's, it's interesting how you almost kind of fabricate one's own interest in a subject just by the way in which you approach it, right? It's quite a coincidence. I was working with a student earlier today. Um, you know, I do some tutoring on the side. And this student re was reading with a very mundane sort of voice. It was a short passage about sharks, right? And it said something like, sharks live in the water. I'm, I'm imitating the reading voice that this student was using. Sharks live in the water. They have gills. And I stopped him. I said, look, I love sharks. And now I don't anymore because of the way you're reading it, right? Now I went ahead and modeled the way in which you can read this. And I showed sharks live in the water. They're the apex predators of the ocean, right? And suddenly his eyes start opening up a little. And that's just a sort of proof of concept, right? Very small scale, something very simple. But that also can be applied 
to uh, literature, right? Even in your inner voice, the way you're reading it, the tone you're using, what you're stressing, animating the characters in your head, that's what generates interest. And you can often surprise yourself by how that happens. And so reading also, this issue of making connections. As students go into high school and, and then prepare for college, they need to be able to draw analogies, how one thing fits into another, would you say? I'm not explaining it correctly. Maybe you can. Uh, share with me a little bit more about how students can demonstrate their ability to critically think. Right. You're taking me back to where we started with this, was the idea of creating analogies, right? Connections between domains that on the surface seem disconnected, right? So let's get back to love and war, for instance. So passion, for instance, might, might be the glue that creates an analogical relationship there. Passion can turn towards violence or towards deep love, right? And so that right there, I think, is sort of a marker of, of, of character. But you also touch on the subject of critical thinking, right? It's one thing we say, hey, there's a surprising connection between these two things, but they're not identical, right? So then you're also able to kind of create these contours where they're, they're very dissimilar. So for instance, I've actually taught critical thinking classes uh, at the freshman level um, at uh, Georgia State University. And what I would explain to students is that analogies, that's basically the fuel of generating thought, of learning, right? Uh, Doug Hofstetter, for instance, uh, uh, from Indiana University in Bloomington, very famous philosopher uh, of cognitive science, uh, wrote Gödel Escherbach, a real powerful um, contribution to how thinking works, right? And he also has gone into how analogies generate learning. But the thing is, you can be reckless with it, right? Just to say, for instance, that um, you know, love is like war, you ha there's also many differences involved there too. Part of critical thinking is recognizing the similarities between things, but also the relevant differences, right? That's why it can also be used as a, f a form of argument. That's why it's so relevant to things like critical thinking or depth of character. Great, okay. So, Michael, if we wanted to get a hold of you, how would we do that? Funny you should ask. So, I recently joined uh, the organization, Mars College Admission Advisors, as a study skills coach. And all of what I'm telling you right now, this, is come, this comes from, mostly from my own experience. Uh, to give a little bit uh, of, um, I, give an idea about my background, I wouldn't describe myself as the most passionate student when I started off. Right. Part of the reason I've given so much thought to this, you know, this idea of metacognition, looking under the hood of how your own thinking works, is because for me, I kept running up against a wall. I would read books like Hemingway's. I don't get what, what do people find so interesting about this, right? And so for me, having found some tool, found some tools that have taken me this far, now joining a, a PhD program uh, in UT Dallas, studying cognition and neuroscience. I'm fascinated by how this works. How do we build analogies? How do we generate interest in, in academic subjects, right? And so I want to pass it on to students. I want to work as a study skills coach to impart these skill sets because I know how valuable they can be. So two, you can reach Michael through www.marscaa.com. That's Mars with two R's. And Michael is demonstrating his passion, which is what we're looking for all students to do. So when I talk about finding books that are interesting, then that leads into the next one, which is pursuing an interest, pursuing something that you as a student are interested in. 
parents sometimes try to dissuade students from doing certain activities, like if they have an interest in sports cars, from trying to dissuade them from having that interest because they feel it's possibly a dangerous sport. Well, encourage the student to learn everything they can about a certain model car, if they like 66 Mustangs, or if they're into Porsches, or another type of racing car. Get them to understand the history of that car, who built it, who designed it, and then take them to a mechanic shop that works on those kinds of cars and let them shadow the mechanic working. And then, if the student really pursues an interest in it, maybe find an old, beat-up junk car that they can take apart and rebuild. Students who are interested in computers, they need to really understand the computer. So get them an old computer and let them take it apart and put it back together. Or if they're interested in programming, help them find a course in community college or in a college somewhere nearby where they can go and take Java or another type of programming language. Get them to pursue things that they have a passion for. If they love video games, help them design, figure out how to write their own video games and create them. An interesting issue that occurs with parents is oftentimes they want the student to feel the same way they do about a certain interest they have. So it's very important for parents to step back and, yes, expose the student to their love or to their passion, but to also encourage the student to develop their own and to respect that within that student. So parents who love playing golf and the student has no interest in golf, well, that should be okay. Hopefully the student will pick up golf because it's a great way to spend time with mom or dad. But if they really are interested in tennis, encourage them to play tennis and help them get lessons and help them join a team other than maybe even in school. So kids need to really learn the process. They need to really experiment with new interests, try things. When students are in middle school, that's the best time to let them try all kinds of different sports. And then hopefully, by the time they enter high school, they've narrowed it down to one or two. There are kids who love to play lacrosse, tennis, track, football, basketball, and everything. But ideally, it's best if they can narrow it down to one or two sports. Same thing with clubs. They may have lots of clubs that they want to be a part of, but it's real important that they focus their time and energy with more depth with one or two of those clubs. Clubs can be in school or out of school. They could be in the community. They could be through your church or your synagogue or your temple, whether it's scouting or BBYO. Kids who get involved in scouting, whether it's Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, any of the different organizations that help expose students to the country and give them meaningful tasks to do to earn badges. Those are really good things to do. Being outdoors and getting out where there is no traffic, no sounds of bustling about like we do in a big city, is a great thing because it it helps you breathe easier. It helps you think about things that are not just from the internet. Electronics are good things for certain times, but being outside Learning about different types of insects and snakes and tall grass and trees and and types of trees. Those are all really great things. Challenging oneself to hike and to really be exhausted at the end of the day. Those are things that are great. Plus, scouting demonstrates leadership. Leadership is a big deal to colleges. So when you're growing up, if you have the opportunity 
to do scouts or to get involved in, in some sort of organization where you spend time outdoors, do it. It's a great thing to do. Whatever it is, be sure that you get involved and you do it regularly and consistently throughout high school. You work towards being a leader, some sort of elected officer, if there is such a thing. It may be parliamentarian even. One of the beauties of living in the United States is that we do have a lot of history. Maybe it's not like European history, but we do have a lot of history. And there are a lot of battlefields and different places and museums that students can go to, especially the battlefields where they can be outside and really explore and making such things as the Civil War come alive. And that in itself is depth building, helping a student understand what the history of our country is about is a big deal. If a student does have an opportunity to travel internationally, that too is very depth building. That helps a student demonstrate that they have really been outside their bubble. Growing up in whatever city you grow up in, more than likely you've been exposed to things that are familiar and it's everything is very comfortable. But when you travel outside the country, you see things that are not at all like what you live with. Another depth-building exercise is the issue of social interactions. Those of us that have only children, it's easy as adults to introduce our children to settings where they are talking to and interacting with adults that are maybe not people they know. So it's important that as children are growing up and entering middle school, that they do become more social with people older than them, political events or club meetings, places where they can engage in conversations with adults that they may not know. This is important. Making eye contact, having the social skills, a strong handshake. These are all things that will help these students with depth building. Cultural events are also a great way to encourage depth building. So when you're out, if you have the opportunity to take your child to a play or to a museum or out to a nice restaurant, these are all things that are great ways to build depth of interest in your student. Kids who go on field trips, if they have the opportunity with their teachers or with whoever to go to see a play and get involved in fine arts, it's a great thing. They may not be artists, and they may not be musicians, but if they can learn to appreciate those things, it will be very important as they grow older, and colleges will think they're great. Colleges are now looking at things like social media resumes, which are a very private social media page that's oftentimes associated with a company called Z-E-E-M-E-E. Z -E -E -M -E -E. The Z-E-E account that students can create is helping colleges better understand that a student is more than just an academic person, that they also have other interests, such as music or art or theater. In summary, what I want to say is all of these recommendations and tips that I've shared with you today all lead to one common thread, and that's attitude. So the attitude of optimism and hope is a big deal. Colleges want to see kids who are optimistic. They want leaders who are optimistic. If you spend time with your students and you demonstrate listening to what they have to say and helping them to listen to what you have to say and make it a two-way street with respect, this will build a great deal of optimism in your student. 
They need to know that you value their opinion, just as you want them to value yours. You want them to grow. If they have an opinion that's different than yours, don't shoot them down. Allow them to have that particular opinion and respect it, even if you disagree. This will help instill optimism and confidence in your student. Colleges will see these kids that are optimistic. They will read about these kids that are optimistic in teacher recommendations. Those are with the college applications, just as essays are on the college applications. Optimism will come through in a big way, just as an interview would, but not all colleges interview. So it's very important that when a student is writing essays and working in school, that their teachers see them as hopeful and optimistic, and that their essays convey what they are really feeling. In summary, what I want to share with you again is that there are four major points here, four tips. The issue of reading, finding your interest in one or two or three things, and then social interactions, and then attitude, making sure that you grow to be optimistic. These are the basic steps in building depth for college. But there's much more than depth necessary to get into college. Between applications, scholarships, pursuing your major, financial aid, and everything else, what's the next step? Next time on How to Go to College.